for another week obviously a technical glitch there with our theme music that i know brian is going to get fixed for us sometime you know later today that'll be fixed in post <laughs> okay god bless post-production so welcome behind the lens another week we are here joining me today a special special treat greg is being the dutiful son again this week um and my good friend and adorable Spitfire actress Kendra Montagna is sitting here playing my cinematic sidekick today. Yay! Hi, you guys. <laughs> Welcome to Behind the Lens. <laughs> this is this is so fun for me because I've been watching. I've known Kendra for a number of years. Been watching her career slowly, you know, move up the ladder, and everything that she does as an actress to promote herself, to get herself out there, and she'll be talking about some of that. She'll also be talking about Comic-Con behind the lens. Comic-Con 2015. Such an experience. Such an experience. And some really great, great guests today at 11.15. Byron Bean, producer Byron Bean and actress Erin Fritch will be calling in to talk again about living the dream. Yes, we're still living the dream again this week on Behind the Lens. Last week, you may recall, we had uh, the Spurlock sisters, Maya and Kim, writers, creators, uh, directors of Living the Dream, this new web series that is absolutely hilarious. So I can't urge you strongly enough to go and and watch it. It's livingthedream.tv. Yep. And it's, I can't wait for the next group. I've seen all eight episodes already. It's I hilarious. It's, it's hilarious. And as you mentioned earlier, the, the production value. Yeah, really high quality. They're shorter episodes, which, you know, uh, for some of us have a shorter attention span. So it's really <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, a, a shorter available time span. Yes. So, but uh, we'll be talking to Byron and Aaron, and then a very timely and very topical interview. We're going to have director Victor Bueller calling in to talk about his documentary a whole lot more. I say timely and, talk and topical because the documentary, uh, KCET picked it up, and it is currently airing on KCET. It is streaming as well as on air, live on television uh, on its various channels. You can also, uh, the link, uh, kct.org, and you can find it in there. It is a very a powerful documentary on the disabled development, developmentally disabled community, particularly focusing on lot industries in Toledo, Ohio. And um, this week is on the 25th. We kick off the Special Olympics, mm -hmm. and then on the 26th marks the 25th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. So this is going to be really interesting, talking to Victor and his backstory as to how he even came to do this documentary is, talk about the power of a personal touch. Yeah, very inspiring. And uh, watching it, you know, we'll talk about 
how he selected the individuals that he selected to focus in on in the documentary and the tact that he took and the point of view that he took, uh, which is something that we haven't really seen and raises the issues of integrating into the community, into society, or, or staying segregated in their own little little world of, of work and company and friends. So it, there's a lot of eye-opening things in the doc, and I know Victor's going to be able to shed, shed some light on a lot of that. Then we're going to hear more from uh, Peyton Reed and Ant-Man. Ant-Man! Marvel! <laughs> Kendra's very excited <laughs> over Marvel and Ant-Man. I am. I'm sorry. I'm still coming up. Come, come. <laughs> well, how can you not get excited about Marvel? I mean, Ant-Man opened this weekend, $58 million. It took the box office. Number one, it is the 12th Marvel film to open at number one. Awesome. They're not doing too bad. They're not doing too bad. <laughs> Knock on wood. My Disney stock appreciates that. <laughs> so keep going. And, of course, once again, you know, when you see the video of our show, you will see we are surrounded by Disney and Marvel and Avengers. Avengers and, but also this week, when you watch on the video, you all know that I'm a very big proponent of literacy and reading and books and movies. And when you have tie-ins, I always say, read the book, mm -hmm. then see the movie. Right. If you haven't done it in that order, that's okay. Go back and read the book. And with this being summer vacation and so many teens at home, rather than, than playing on video games or going to the mall, which mm -hmm. I know a lot of you are still doing, um, there's some great books out there. You've probably seen the movies. Um, classics, A Little Princess, Anna Green Gables, Little Women, Treasure Island, Secret Garden. These are beloved classics for the ages. All have been made into superlative films mm -hmm. so if you really want to have a nice entertainment package laying out by the pool grab one of these books by the way you can get all of them at target for a dollar a dollar one dollar <laughs> pinocchio is even here pinocchio yes yeah but you know some of the most beloved stories of all time yeah. i mean little women that's had four incarnations as a film now mm -hmm. A Little Princess has had a couple with the seminal one being Shirley Temple. Yep. Um, Treasure Island, there have been many incarnations of that. Secret Garden, there have been three or four, and they've spawned some sequels that have been on BBC mm -hmm. and uh, on other, uh, uh, most of the, the best Secret Garden adaptations have been by the BBC yeah. and by the Brits. Um, so, And, of course, Tom Sawyer, there is a plethora yes. Um, Jonathan Taylor Thomas at one point wasn't he in that? He did one. Uh, really? There were just <laughs> there was just um, at LA Film Festival a band of robbers, which is essentially the grown up Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn mm -hmm. interpretation. So a lot of good reading, a lot of good movies. So if you just want to kick back at home, not even go to the theater yes. and catch up cheaper, only a dollar. Catch up on your classics. Lay out by the pool. Take your portable DVD player with you, yeah. stream the movie, or take your phone, stream it on Netflix, and uh, entertain and improve your mind. Yes. Can't have a good movie without a good story. And the stories are right there for a dollar. See? See? That's, you know, and that's so true. I'm glad you mentioned that because you have to have a good story. Mm -hmm. You know, George Clooney has said that countless times over the years that, you can have terrible performances. Right. You can have technical problems. 
but if you don't have a good script, a good story to start with, and then a good script. You can't ice a bad cake. Well, (laughs) and you as an actress, when you're looking at scripts, is that a determining factor for you quite often? It is. I try to use my imagination as much as possible, so I'm pretty welcoming to the content that is being offered (laughs) um, because I just want to use my skills in some form. But yes, I, I feel very privileged when it's a piece that I really... I love the story and I want to convey it and I think people will be positively affected by it. Well, and you talk about using your skills. For those that are not familiar, go find a lovely a lovely web series that I executive produced that was written and directed by Ned Airbar. Um, Co-op you, of the Damned. Co-op of the Damned. You will see Kendra, one of my favorite zombie performances yes, ever. Yes, I do make a good zombie, don't I? You do, but beyond beyond making good zombie, you just had a heck of a time at Comic Con behind the scenes. I did. I was hired by NBC to work their Heroes events. Um, they're coming back on the air September twenty fourth. It's Heroes Reborn. They're bringing some of the cast back. I don't think Hayden will be back because she is, of course, signed with Nashville. But. <laughs> I have a feeling she's going to show up later in the series for a couple episodes. Okay. Just kind of a surprise. But it was really neat. All the cast came in. They did the 40 events. It was packed. I worked there 12 days. Or, I mean, four days, 12-hour days. Mm-hmm. And there was just a line outside from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day. So what kind of events did Heroes Reborn have going? Well, they built an outside um, venue. They called it the Black Hole. Um, they offered two different events. They had a 4D experience, which they built a virtual reality um, zone where you could go in and your superpower was fire and you just, you know, stood in front of the video screen and the floor shook and there was smoke. And if any of you like arcade games, it was really fun. I may have done it twice. <laughs> Only twice. <laughs> Only twice. I had to be proactive and work. <laughs> it was cool. And SoCal Green Screen um, set up green screens and had, um, you know, a live event where they, they took your picture behind your, the green screen was behind you, and they photoshopped in fire as a live a- action mm-hmm. animation. And so it looked like, you know, your superpower was fire. And it was all free. It was all NBC paid for it, and they gave out free stuff. They paid for everything now was this your first time at comic-con it was so to be your first time because i saw some of the short little videos that you were taking when you had a break and you would wander around Mm -hmm. how does it compare when you know what's going on behind the scenes as to what the public sees when they just show up there well does that take away from the magic or from the awe not at all for me it was an experience and and it was exciting to see people get excited you know um it's just kind of amazing to see imagination bring that many people together and for the most part it was extremely positive the only the only thing that brought um it down in my perspective was the picketing there was religious picketing and that was the only thing that brought down the vibe now, was the picketing for the Heroes Reborn show or just no, in general? just in general. Like, they 
It was just religious picketing. At Comic-Con. Yeah. Oh, okay. See people having fun. It's just, I don't know, I guess. I guess you have that everywhere. But other than that, people were in a great mood. Everyone had good attitudes. Everyone's there just to kind of be a kid, you know? Now, would you ever, would you go back again? I know you'd go back again to work. Yeah. To work the events. But would you go back just as a fan? I was really interested in seeing some of the panels. Um, I'm a huge fan of Harley Quinn. I would really love, you know, to see some of that memorabilia inside. And um, they even had uh, an episode of SpongeBob that they read live. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I find that stuff so interesting, and you don't get to see that anywhere else. It's just, I don't know. I love San Diego anyway because it's so it's so bright and it's green and there's nature and it's just nice to be out of the city away from the bumper to bumper traffic you know but you had bumper to bumper getting there no, actually <laughs> once you got out of the city people give you like a car space room you know you're learning all these great things here today that you'll never hear anywhere else nowhere else <laughs> thank you for tuning in <laughs> so it is a thumbs up a definite fire flames up flames up as soon as I got on the trolley at 7 a.m. for the first day I was already excited there were I met two I met great people the whole time and you know I met with them and now I'm Facebook friends with them um, one actually brought me a signed Harley Quinn doll from the convention just because I met them on the trolley and I took their picture and they were just stoked about the day they were the most animated people i've ever met <laughs> but yeah it was a great experience people are just there to have fun and celebrate you know their childhood characters so in other words they were all there living the dream they were living in your imagination nurture your creative nature well we're gonna live in the dream right now yeah we are with are you there byron bean I'm here, Debbie. How are you? I'm fine. And <laughs> let's see. And let's see. Brian is going to tie Aaron in right now. Aaron, are you there? I'm here. Yay! Oh, hi, hi yeah. guys. For everybody. Hi, Byron. Hi, Debbie. Hi. For everybody listening, we have joining us today producer Byron Bean of Living the D Dream and Aaron Fritch, who plays Leslie in Living the Dream. And guys. Playing here with me today, living the dream, is is my actor friend Kendra Montagna, who you should probably look at one day, Byron. Just saying. Oh, fun! Hi, Hi. Byron. <laughs> Hi. So. Hi, Kendra. Hi, Aaron. So, Byron, you already know how much I love the show. I sent you my thoughts on this before I even sent it to the publicist. Yeah. Yep. How did you? And this is so spot on. This is such a spot-on show. It is so inside baseball with the industry, but it is so true. And then it's laced with this great wit and sarcasm and humor. How did you become involved in this project? Well, Kim, uh, originally when I was in casting, uh, Kim Spurlock had sent um, uh, a film script of hers to us. I loved it so much. I've been following her since then, and that was about four years ago. And her and her sister brought to me this web series and said, listen, 
you know, her career wasn't going the way it sort of was at a standstill with her being a writer director. And she sent this web series that was essentially about her life. And so when I read it, you know, a lot of people say, write what you know about. (laughs) And she knew about this and she knew about what it meant to her. And um, her writing partner, Mike Spurlock, her sister, um, hit the nail on the head with what Kim was going through and also some of the behind the scenes of what was happening in the business. And it just rang true with me because I, I, I encounter that a lot and it just struck a chord and I loved it so much and it just flowed from there. Now, Byron, as a, because you have gone up through, you know, the casting, you and I have both known so many of the same actors, directors (laughs) over the years do you see the the web series has this opened up a whole new gamut for you as a producer and then for actors like Aaron? Oh, for sure. I mean, this platform has opened a lot of doors for a lot of producers and actors. I for one, for me, it's more about a lot of creative control. You know, a lot of people have projects and they'll go to these networks that will essentially take control over it to sort of manipulate the project. But in the web world, I feel that there's so much more control um, for the creative and for me to be able to explore more and right. to be able to Content. Um, Content control. find more actors. Mm. Now, now, Aaron, you play the character of Leslie, um, yes. who just happens to be a producer in Live in the uh-huh. Dream. <laughs> Here. I know. Now, I, I have to ask you here, just anyone you might have modeled your tactics and techniques <laughs> off of, you know, in honing in on this role? Oh, that's funny. Uh, well, uh, Byron, you know I love you. You know, I feel like yeah. there's a little Byron in there, um, for sure. Uh, I mean, Leslie's like the, the kind of stereotypical Hollywood go-getter type A. She wants to get it done. She's got a lot on her plate. You know, I think she really does have a good heart and believes in the script and in Kit. But, you know, she wants to get it done. And, um, yeah, I mean, th- there's definitely that side in Byron. And uh, I'm a <laughs> bit of a type A myself, so brought out a little bit of that. Yeah. Now, did you audition for the role of Leslie? I did. You know, Byron, because he, you know, had the script and and really was in love with it, kind of brought it to me first and said, um, I just want you to take a look at this. It's this new web series, and there's a role in here that just feels very close close to you, and um, just take a look at it. So I did, and I I really fell in love with the character. And, yeah, came in and, and read for Kim and the rest of the you know, production team, and um, Byron kind of removed himself, if I'm remembering correctly, from the the situation, kind of brought me to the table and then stepped back from it, since he is my manager as well. And uh, it it just worked out, you know, it was a good fit. Because now, people, when they see the series, they're going to recognize you from, you know, House of Cards, The Good Wife, and for those really (laughs) ancient of us, you know, going all the way back to soaps, because you were in two different soaps, actually. Way back in the day. Way yeah. back in the day. Way back in the day. How do you find, in, in picking the properties that you're taking now, the roles that you're taking, you come out of the soap world, you come, you've done st- uh, theater and stage on Broadway. Um, what do you look for? Because you've got something like House of Cards. You've got something like The Good Wife. 
And then you have something like living the dream. Living the dream, I can honestly say, and Leslie, to me, that's the kind of character that I've been waiting to play. Mm. She's, there's parts of her that are similar to, to Corey Gratter, the role I, I played on Broadway and Barefoot in the Park. But in terms of, of television and, and um, screen, I, I really enjoy kind of um, fast-talking, complex, kind of neurotic, uh, quirky characters. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like I've kind of amassed a, a handful of, of dramatic roles over the years, and this was a real kind of delight to play something a little um, lighter and quirkier. Yeah, this is a definite departure from what you're most known for. Uh, yeah, for sure. In terms of the work that I've done up to mm-hmm. this point, it is a departure, but something that you know Byron and I had talked about a lot, uh, something that I was really eager to play, you know, this kind of quirkier role. Now, Byron, because you're you're wearing two hats here, you're all, you're Aaron's manager. You're also a produ- one of the producers on Live in the Dream. Is it? Do you ever find it challenging there, uh, in terms of having to take the hats on and off? It's like you have yeah. a, you have a client that, and not just with Live in the Dream, but with any property that might come around. I do. I mean, I always. I always look at projects when I have the producer hat on, I'll look at the projects and, and look and see wh- who is exactly right for the part. I, I mean, I know that a lot of, you know, sometimes you have managers that will want to put their, put their, their clients in roles in, in projects. Um, and I commend them for that, you know, to get them, get them work. But sometimes it just, it just doesn't serve the script. You know, they right. may just have some, sort of nuance that doesn't really fit the character. Right. For me, I when I read the script and knowing Erin and where we were sort of taking her trajectory of acting, I sort of had to put on both the manager and the producer hat and sort of say, listen, you know, this is a character that is exactly you. This mm-hmm. is you could do a lot with this. Mm-hmm. And I know that this was a ballpark ballpark that she could play in and really really do well. And it showed on on the series and I sort of take that from my casting background you know it's sort of a in casting you have a problem and you have to have the solution for the problem you have a problem with finding someone but Mm -hmm. your solution is finding the right the exactly right person that walks into the room and goes yes that's the person Mm -hmm. so for me I've been fortunate enough to have that experience to know that when I have the producer hat on that's what I'm looking for Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that a client of mine could play that role. Could play that role, but mm-hmm. if the client is perfect for that role, then I'll approach them and say, "Listen, this is you know, this is great for you." <laughs> yeah. Now, when you do, when you're looking at properties to produce, mm-hmm. what kind of considerations do you have for that? Because I know you produce community therapy. You did uh, uh, one up on ice on an I Spy open mic. Um, what what draws you into those? When do you decide to say, okay, I'll put on the producer hat and come on board? There's a few there's, there's a few elements. Um, story for me is number one, and the connection from the writer and the director in that story. Um, there's you know there there's always property that people bring you that that people say, hey, there's a great story here. You know, we have a great team. We have this. But there's something about the right connection, the alignment between all the creative and the story. And then when you get in the room and the collaboration, you feel it. Mm-hmm. And you feel the energy and you say, and from something from inside of you says, yes, 
I want to be involved in this. There's also on the business side in your in your mind where you go, okay, I can also deliver the pragmatic side of this. I can find, I, you know, I have the idea of who, what casting directors would be great for this. I already have an idea of what actors would be good for this. Um, there's a couple of a couple of factors. I mean, it's certainly more on the creative side for me, the collaboration and, and what hits me, what instinctually do I look at and, and when I hear the story and I'll go, oh, great, this is good. I love the team and I love the what it means to the writer and the director. That's sort of what happened with Live in the Dream, too. Mm-hmm. So where do both of you see Live in the Dream going beyond episode eight? I'm chomping at the bit. <laughs> I, I am chomping at the bit. I'm chomping. I mean, I want to see so much more of this that, Byron, I'll even talk to you about investing in more. The production oh, wow. quality yeah. is really, really good. I watched a little yeah. bit of it, and I saw your guys' trailer. And com- the comedy is really fun, too. There's nothing better than comedy. Oh, when comedy is done right, yes. it just it makes me happy. And I think that's what a lot of people bank on. We know when, when, when web series, when you have a comedic web series, and you do it right, production value is there the comedy is there you know and it's not broad it's not so broad that it takes you out um but something like broad city is great because these girls are these girls and that's what their situational mm-hmm. comedy makes it funny mm-hmm. but sometimes you can see a web series that just sort of falls a little flat because there's something about the either the chemistry or the connection of the comedy isn't there but that's you know when you watch this it's just it's great. I mean, it, it, the comedy is there, but past this series, this season, that sort of that's in the head of Mai and Kim. They kind of have an idea of where they want to go with it. Um, I'm just, I, I'm Debbie. I'm with you. I'm chomping at the bit. I'm like, uh, let's get this next season because I mean, I a I just want to read the script. I I am dying. Hey, I'm I'm actually waiting to see if Kit gets a a hippie voodoo Barbie doll that is is made to look like Leslie because Leslie abandoned her. You know, seriously, seriously. You know, I know. I want to know if they come back together. I I mean, it's the best cliffhanger. It ends so well. It really leaves you hanging. I mean, it just and you know. uh, and I have to, I mean, and the hippie voodoo doll, the Barbie, the hippie Barbie voodoo doll is just the greatest thing. And I, I really think that the girls need to write in another doll <laughs> that is a Leslie voodoo doll so that she and, and Barbie can sit in matching martini glasses and commiserate together. <laughs> have happy hour together. <laughs> well, you know, I'm all about the happy hour, Byron. <laughs> yeah. Nothing wrong with the happy hour. Oh, that's just such a full circle moment there. <laughs> yes and and i have kendra sitting here now who is who is part of part of the next full circle moment oh funny. At, the, at the backstage yes backstage of our grill in culver city doing a little oh, shout out. little plug <laughs> yeah. yeah i'll tell you so where would you like to see your character of leslie go aaron um I, you know, I would like to see Leslie not quite having it all together. Um, you know, something that happens <laughs> like that you get to see maybe a less together side of Leslie. Mm-hmm. So what else are you working on now while you're waiting for the next episodes to be written? Mm-hmm. 
I know, I know. Well, I actually just had a baby. Um, <gasps> Congratulations! Four ago. So I am uh, working on motherhood at the moment. Aww. And Byron, um, Byron, what does that do to you as a manager when your client decides to just willy nilly go have a baby? <laughs> willy nilly. Uh, actually... She's dropped. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, there's. It's. It's. I love it because it's. One, it's a it's a function of of the life of an actress. So mm-hmm. you know that if, if they ch- when they when they choose to have a family, that happens. What I've noticed and what I love about that too is when and I've had this actually happen with a couple of clients and other actresses that have that have started a family is that they come back and there's so mm-hmm. much more in their lives of an actress because they're mm-hmm. just kind of like families first mm-hmm. and when I go in when they go into a room and and audition in front of a casting or producers it's kind of like a it's not that it's not at the front of their mind it's just that it's a little more of a comfortable experience because they're just like great well the pressure's kind of taken off yeah. and the focus is taken off of being like I have to be an actress this yeah. is what I do and absolutely that's yeah, no, that's exactly it. And we, we've just yeah. started, you know, I'm just back auditioning again, you know, for the past couple of weeks, which feels wonderful. Yeah. So I'm super excited, you know, to get that next project. But Byron's right. It definitely changes things. Um, and it's kind of full circle for me. I was actually three months pregnant when we shot Living the Dream and not quite showing yet. So nobody knew. Um, and it was kind of a really special time for me. So Aww. the project in general Aww. is just very near and dear to my heart. <laughs> oh well, then maybe we can have a cute little hippie baby doll. I mean, maybe Leslie gets pregnant. You know, who knows? Who knows? And it messes should. up the world. Yeah, and, tr- and try and balance balance work with exactly. that little change, that unexpected exactly. change. So, what do you have coming up next, Byron? That you're working on? Anything? Well, we're we're yeah. I mean, we're working on Kim's next script. She, I have to toot her horn a little bit because she, you know. She, She's incredible. She is a writer that just, she won the Student Academy Award in 2010. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, awesome. Live in the Dream is this story about her life and the particular project that she's talking about, Blood in the Tears, in the, in the show, is actually a feature film project that came across our desk in 2010 with uh, the casting director I was working with at the time. I loved it. We garnered a lot of attention from agencies at the top five companies and bankable actors that really wanted to be in this film. Mm -hmm. And she had another project called Case of the Dismals that, um, if I, I hope I'm not butchering this, but it actually (laughs) got selected out of 800 screenplays in the world, um, as a, as a top 15 at the Venice film festival, um, Biennial College. That's awesome. So it was one of their creative um, incubators. And her script got top 15 out of 800 in the world. She has this knack for, for her, this voice of this um, independent, very independent, female-driven, strong, southern through line in her, her projects that just kind of I don't know. It's just a very unique voice. So we're working mm-hmm. on that script next. It's a micro-budget film, um, Case of the Dismals. We're working on that one to start pre-production. We're shooting for October. 
um, and she wants to go back to her hometown in West Virginia to shoot it, and Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful, beautiful script. I can't wait for it, and I really can't wait for her to get her voice heard more out in the independent film community. It's a voice that needs to be heard, Mm -hmm. and it's it's one that I think will will make waves. Well, if she stays hooked up with you, uh, there is no doubt in my mind that she will people will be talking about her in vast numbers because I know when you believe in something and you get behind it, you will go to the ends for it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That's, that's very true. Oh <laughs> uh, guys, I can't thank you enough for calling in today. And I can't, oh. I can't wait for the next eight episodes. I can't wait to see what other roles you get cast in Aaron. Thank and, you so much. And Byron, you and I are going to be talking boy. Yeah, I hope so. We'll, we, we'll talk soon about it more. Definitely. Thank you so much. And it's and everybody can watch this at liveinthedream.tv. Yep. yep. I, Thank you, Debbie. Thanks, guys. Thank you nice so much. meeting Have you. Bye. Bye. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Behind the Lens is sponsored in part by the Culver City Observer. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. And welcome back to Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Lynn Elias, sitting here, sidekick with me today. Kendra Rose Montagna. Oh, my God. (laughs) And if you're listening, you just heard from producer Byron Bean and actress Erin Fritsch talking about Living the Dream, a great new web series that's out there. I can't recommend it highly enough. It is just, it's fabulous. It's a great comedy. Fabulously funny. Livingthedream.tv on the internet. Check it out. And now... I am, I am absolutely privileged and thrilled to have with us Victor Bueller. Hello, Victor. Welcome to Behind the Lens. Hi, Victor. Hi. Hi there. How are you? I'm oh. good. How are you? This. Great thing. I am. Thank you so much for calling in and joining us today to talk about a whole lot more. This documentary is, it it's amazing. It is true. It's an amazing documentary, Victor. You answer questions, but you make us all ask a lot more questions, and you present issues in with a point of view that we haven't really seen before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the timing, uh, this is very timely. As I said at the top of the show, this is very timely and topical, considering this is, uh, the, the subjects are the developmentally disabled on the 25th, the Special Olympics opens in Los Angeles. Michelle Obama will be present for that. And on the 26th marks the 25th anniversary of the ADA. How mm-hmm. fortuitous is this timing and KCET running this documentary? <laughs> yes. Uh, no, it, it is 25th anniversary of the ADA. Big. The Special Olympics is always a wonderful organization. And, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's, um, yeah, I mean, it's a very timely too because, in many ways, the the sort of the kind of landscape of work for people with developmental disabilities is really evolving now more than ever. And there's a lot of questions, like you mentioned, that are being asked about 
what is the best, what, how can we create more employment opportunities for people with disabilities as a whole, but with developmental disabilities in particular? And those questions, um, there's some hard questions because of systems that the people have relied on to a degree for many years are having to adapt uh, or change or sometimes, in many cases, close down. And so there's a lot of like unknowns right at the moment, and there's a lot of people with uh, family members, with people with development disabilities, who really aren't quite sure what the next step, you know, what the future holds. And people with the, you know, with the disabilities themselves are asking themselves some tough questions. So there's a lot of like very exciting things on the horizon, but there's a lot of like questions being asked right at the moment. Mm-hmm. Well, something I find very interesting is how you even got involved in this project. Mm-hmm. This stems from your own injuries as a result of an accident, correct? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I, I'm not alone because I think a lot of people who care about disability issues um, have had an experience in their lives or a family member that really kind of connects them to, even briefly sometimes, or what it's like to live with a disability. And I had an experience right. where I was in a in a very uh, nearly fatal car crash, and I was on a wheelchair for in a wheelchair for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and going through that experience really sort of opened my eyes to um, basically how I hate to say it, but in many senses we forget how many people with disabilities there are in America, mm-hmm. and really how excluded a lot of them are from our workplace. You know, right. a question that I started to ask myself, and then started asking other people is how many people with disabilities are in your workplace, do you work with? Uh, how many do you interact with on a, on a, on a regular basis? And the, um, the answer can be, can be, not as many as, as you think. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, how did you end up getting involved with Lot Industries and Joan Brown? Um, this is, I mean, the whole concept of Lot and Toledo, Ohio, it's not the, a place that I would think that you would be looking for a story. <laughs> well, Toledo, so, so basically, the basic the premise of A Whole Lot More is that for many years, this one particular factory was very successful uh, making car parts, mostly for Ford, but for, for many uh, auto companies. And what was unique about it is that it, it employed only people with development disabilities. And in a sense, it was kind of one of the, the shining examples of a, a workshop, and people were well-paid, um, mm-hmm. um, and people had lots of work, and it basically sort of, you know, the people who worked there felt they were, part, they were you know, auto workers. They felt they were part of a larger whole um, of, of that industry there, and Toledo, for those who don't know, is basically right outside of Detroit, so it's really in the sort of hub of, you know, the... Motown, of the, you know, the classic Motor City USA. And so what, what, what I read a story about was that basically with the decline of the auto industry of, uh, five years ago, years ago, this factory was in trouble. And the 1,500 people who worked at this factory, all of them uh, had uh, developmental disabilities, were, were seeing their paychecks decrease, were struggling to make ends meet. And basically, it was a, it was a story that sort of told told me something about the American economy and the future of the American economy, but also, um, you know, opened my, made me think about, well, what happens in tough times to really many ways the most vulnerable members of our society. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Things can change in a second.
they certainly can. Now, I love how you have you give us the broad picture of Lot Industries. A lot of that is through Joan, the former director. But then you hone in on three individuals, Wanda, who I can easily see how you honed in on Wanda. Um, she, she, she honed in on me. Actually. She <laughs> is amazing, an amazing woman. And then TJ is just one of the greatest loves in the world. And Kevin, his desire for independence outside the system, so to speak. I mean, they're varied. They're varied in their degree and type of developmental disability. But they each bring so much to the story and to life in general. Mm -hmm. What led you to each of them or what led Wanda to you? <laughs> yeah, you're very kind of, thank you for your, your comments. And you're right, mm -hmm. those, those three people are they're just amazing. And, I mean, Wanda sort of runs the show there. So when I arrived with my camera on the first day, Wanda came over, basically walked up to me and said, hey, what's going on? <laughs> and from the moment you, you knew you met her, she's kind of like, she's sort of like the Rosie the River sort of character in a way of that, of Lot. She's constantly trying to get things done and motivate the troops, if, if you will. And she's just got she's just got a spark that that uh, you can't kind of ignore. Mm -hmm. And I would say with all three characters, what what really struck me is how how badly each of them really wants to play a role and yeah. uh, be included and work, and how much hard work means to them, yeah. uh, and how they see it as a value. I mean, not, none you know what one to TJ and Kevin, none of them really wanted any hand handouts they right. really wanted to earn their way and they were looking for a path to make that happen mm -hmm. well and one of the interesting th that we see especially with tj whose cerebral palsy is it's very advanced very progressed he's always lived at home with his parents and even he is worried about his parents they're worried about him but he's also worried about them mm -hmm. and you know he'd like to move out on his own but what will happen to them if he go if he goes away? Mm -hmm. It's almost as if they might lose part of their purpose. Mm. And yeah. you, and yeah. you capture this so beautifully, just by letting them talk, letting them communicate. Because I know TJ likes to use that communicate because that's very difficult for him. But he communicates so beautifully. Mm. Oh, yes, yes, I, I couldn't agree more. He's very eloquent in his own uh, method of communication, and he's a very compassionate guy. Um, you know, he's sort of a prisoner of his own body in many ways, because he's cerebral palsy, and he's also deaf. So, um, you know, he, his cerebral palsy makes his sign language harder for some deaf people to kind of register. So he's, he does have communication problems, but... In a way, he's always listening, and he's a, he's a very keen listener, and he really picks up on people's um, body language, and, and he's got a very instinctual kind of feel for other people. And I think that comes across when you meet him and when you get to know him, just what an empathetic soul he has. Mm -hmm. Now, did you learn sign language in order to communicate with TJ during the filming, or did you have a signer there interpreting for you? Uh, I, I did try to learn. Yeah, I, I, I can't 
I can't say I did a wonderful job, but I um, I sort of have got the basics down. It's beautiful language, uh, and I'd never really learned any of it before. And I, I really encourage anyone to try and even pick up some basics because you realize what an expressive language it is. Mm-hmm. And um, no, that was that was fun to sort of like hmm, pick up on something and then sort of sort of build a conversation with him. Um, I was very proud of myself today <laughs> when I when I sort of started to understand what he was trying to tell me. Now, did they, any of any of them have any kind of trepidation about having the camera turned on? Uh, something tells me Wanda was very open to talking about anything you wanted to talk about. Yeah, Wanda, Wanda, Wanda loves the spotlight, um, <laughs> and she was sort of born to be in it. And uh, I think TJ, you know, TJ, um, he's basically the Michael Jordan of, of bocce ball. He's uh, uh, the greatest bocce ball player America has ever produced. Um, and he's, he's competed in the Paralympics. Paralympics yeah, awesome. Four Paralympics. Uh, yeah. So he's, in many ways, he's, he's himself in that, that light and with good reason, you know. Um, and then I think Kevin, Kevin was in many ways the hardest character to kind of persuade to be on camera. And I think, I think that was, he's just, he's still obviously just a shy character. And, um, but, what was amazing with Kevin is the kind of the longer you spent with him, you realize just how deep he runs. I mean, having amazing conversations about Greek mythology, or or he'd suddenly come to me in a panic, and 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 we, he'd have to talk about music from the 1980s, and he'd list out the songs that he was listening to, Aww. and so like we, we'd have these really moments of connection, and and Aww. suddenly it became, you know, more like a friendship. And then yeah. occasionally I'd pick up my camera and ask him what was going on, or he'd have a job interview, so he kind of knew that it was time to, uh, to do some filming. And all three of them I'm still, still pretty close with, which is a, one of the great blessings of making this kind of documentary. Oh, well, I can easily see why you would still be close with them, because each is just as engaging and as warm as the next. Strong individuals. Very much, very much so. How, how long was the f- actual filming process? How long was this shot over? Yeah, it, it took a, a little longer. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the amazing thing with documentaries or any film is sort of like raising the funding for them these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of went initially and we had to sort of make the film in parts. Um, I knew that when Lock closed one of its main factories, that was a big time and big marker that I had to be there for that. Mm-hmm. And um, so I... It basically took about a year and a half to shoot. Oh, wow. Uh, all in. So, you know, various phases. How much footage did you have to go through in the editing process? Oh, probably too much. Probably too much. <laughs> I mean, we, one thing that was really tricky to do is because um, in the disability community, there's, there's such a, a mixed regard to a place like Lot, which is called a sheltered workshop by some. Um, and there's a big call to close shelter workshops around the country, partly because they paid sometimes less than minimum wage, partly because of the nature of the work that's done in shelter workshops. Now, Lot for many years had bucked that trend by paying very good wages and by having a lot of very meaningful work. You know, they were building actual parts for, for Ford Explorers for many years. And um, but but what, one thing that sort of was very delicate in the editing process was kind of how to tell the story of a shelter workshop, but also include the idea of community work. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically what this, where Kevin goes in the story, he 
desperately tries to find a job out in, in the main community. But it, you know, even for him, um, with all his strength, his struggle, right. um, uh, and obviously, you know, he has uh, uh, he's on the autism spectrum, so that that's a challenge as well. But the one great thing about the film is just in the nick of time, he found a very nice job at Best Buy. Oh, wonderful! <laughs> is he still there? Yeah, he's still there. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Way to go, Kevin. Yay, Kevin. You know, and something that really touched me in here, because I spent many years in law and actually working with a preeminent ADA attorney. And so I've seen two sides of the coin, and I've actually worked with, side by side, with uh, some of the disabled, the physically disabled and the developmentally, developmentally disabled and the key, they're just people, just yeah. like just like you and me. And I think your camera really lets everyone see that. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks. Thank you very much. Now, yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. They, yeah. Now, what are the plans? What are the plans for, you know, a whole lot more? Will it now just, you know, stay it uh, in the KCET family? Will it go on to DVD or? Uh, d- digital download so that more people can see it? Yeah, absolutely. So, so at the moment, it's, it's um, streaming on KCET uh, and also Link TV. Mm-hmm. And then also uh, it's available on a whole lot more.com. And a lot is spelled with two T's, so a whole rock two T's more.com. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, yes, uh, we, we have a bit on Netflix and iTunes. Oh, yay. Shortly. Congratulations. Now, will is there going to be any kind of tie-in with this documentary, um, with any of the celebrations or events tied in with the ADA anniversary next week in the Olympics? Well, um, no, nothing specific with the Olympics, um, but uh, we are having a couple of screenings coming up. Uh, we've got one in um, Ohio um, uh, very soon, and. Definitely, we will be will be raising the flag, celebrating uh, the 25th anniversary of the ADA, and trying to make as much noise about it as I'm sure you are as well, and everybody yeah. um, about what an important anniversary it is. Yeah. Uh, and what's next for you, Victor? Uh, I'm I'm making uh, at the moment. I just finished uh, working for National Geographic. Um, my sort of day job is making television documentaries. Oh, that's and exciting. And I'm off to the BBC. Uh, to make a, a documentary um, about transgendered teens. So. Oh my! Another timely and topical. Yes. I mean, very I, relevant, actually. I mean, I saw yes. your doc, Little in Looking for Love, and I saw Rikers High. You did? Oh wow! Thanks. So you know, I'm I you know the minute that Caitlin sent me something on this doc on a whole lot more. And I saw that it was you. I was like, yes, yes, yes. I have to see this. I have to talk to Victor. Um, oh, that's very kind. Thank you. Because Thank you, y- you have your storytelling eye and letting the camera see rather than you making it see. Um, is It's a gift. And you are a very gifted storyteller with a lens, Victor. And this is one story that I am so glad you told. Yeah, I commend you for taking an obstacle in your life and uh, changing it into a positive platform for awareness. I I know we all go through our own trials and tribulations, and 
it's important to find that silver lining and pull from it and move forward and affect other people uh, in the best way that you can. And I was excited to hear about this. It's, you know, it's, uh, I commend you for it. So, <laughs> well, yeah. thank you, ladies. You made my day. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Oh. I appreciate it very Vic- much. Victor, thank you so much for joining us, and I hope that you will join us again when you get your ne- when your next project is yes. done. Yes, yeah, I would yeah, love to see it. Yes, I would absolutely love to see it. Oh. I love documentaries. I know. I'm a big sucker for documentaries. We both are. <laughs> we both are. <laughs> Victor, Great. thank Great. you so much, and we'll talk to you again in the future. Bye, Victor. Have okay, a good day. Bye, bye. Thank you. All the best. Right. So, Victor Bueller. Writer, director, cinematographer of A Whole Lot More, streaming on linktv.com or .org. KCET has it. Airing so you can be on stream- Netflix? Yes. So it's it's a very powerful documentary. It's a very emotional documentary when you watch it. And it's very uplifting. When you see these three, primarily three, you see other workers in the lot industry who are there in the background. And the camera picks up their comments, but you see their pride when they do something well Mm -hmm. done. And you hear them when they find out that the telegraph uh, facility uh, is being shut down and they're going to be disseminated Mm -hmm. elsewhere. And they're worried about, will I have enough work? Yeah. That's one of the striking things that you see in this this documentary. So I cannot, uh, this is... An amazing, amazing story. Everybody should see it, especially, you know, with the ADA anniversary, with the Special Olympics. And, uh, yes, and boy, oh, boy, I wonder if TJ is going to go and compete in the next Paralympic Games. Yes, I really want to watch this and see how Kevin is doing and see if he gets excited when he gets his job. Oh, wait till you see. I want to see. And then if you go to the KCET website, Mm -hmm. there are additional clips there on each of the three that are not in the documentary. Really? So I'll have to check that out. Yeah. So it's, it's absolutely fabulous. Well, since we're getting near the end of the show, I think we'll speed along to that delightful number one Marvel film, Ant-Man. Ant-Man! And pick up where we left off last week with Peyton uh, Peyton Reed. Last week we heard Peyton talk about the science of ants because I'm a nerd and I had to ask him that. I'm a nerd too. We're in a room full of nerds right now. (laughs) But (laughs) Peyton also talked about some of the effects in Ant-Man, the whole, the shrinking concept which, as you, 90% of you out there have already seen the film, so there's no big secret here. But here's what he had to say about shrinking and the special effects that went into Ant-Man. In terms of the shrinking, you know, it, uh, I went back and watched all the shrinking movies. Uh, yeah, there's a long cinematic history of shrinking, Incredible Shrinking Man, Incredible Shrinking Woman, I Shrunk the Kids, of course. Honey, I struck the audience pre-show at Disney. Um, But, you know, we were making sort of what would be the definitive shrinking movie of 2015, and uh, the sort of drum I kept banging was it's got to look photorealistic. You can't have a movie where, you know, when you're in the normal world, it's realistic, when you go down, it feels like an animated movie. It had to look photorealistic. And uh, Jake Morrison, who's our uh, visual effects supervisor, we spent a lot of time together and uh, talked about how we were going to achieve it and how we were going to shoot it. And, you know, 
what lenses we use, what does the world look and sound like when you're down there? You know, when, when you see dust particles floating around, how does the light play? Uh, and I'm, I'm really, really happy with where we ended up because it was, uh, you know, in a movie like Ant-Man, it's, it's got to look real. And that applied to the ants, too. I mean, that was really one of the challenges is creating ants that looked photoreal, but also giving them some real character. And particularly in the case of Anthony, um, the idea that we, you know, we're going to create sort of a, uh, a Roy Rogers trigger or, or you know, Lone Ranger silver relationship between Ant-Man, because in the comics, that's one of the iconic images is Ant-Man flying around on an ant, and, you know, I wanted to embrace that. So uh, I was thrilled with where we ended up in the visual effects. And again, one of the things about Marvel is you're just surrounded by the top, top people, you know, in all the fields, but in visual effects, they just did some amazing, amazing work. And that photorealism is extremely photorealistic. Really? It is. It is fabulous. It truly is. But as everybody is finding out with Ant-Man, the heart and soul is the idea of hero mm -hmm. and daddies and daughters. Mm -hmm. And here's what Peyton had to say about the heart of Ant-Man. With regard to the father-daughter aspect, um, it was the thing that I hung the whole thing on. I, I, you know, you can have a movie that has amazing effects, and this certainly has that, and brilliant visuals, a lot of action, humor, whatever, but whatever, whatever, whenever you see something that you can connect to that's emotionally resonant, it stays with you in a very different way. I think that's the key to any movie, and that's what I thought about throughout this whole film. This is what the movie is about. And it certainly is, that emotional resonance. We have emotional resonance in living the dream that makes you laugh. We have emotional resonance in a whole lot more that touches the heart, opens your eyes. And we have emotional resonance in Ant-Man that every daughter sees a hero in her daddy. They do. And that's the best part. And it looks like we're out of time again, no, almost. Oh, is it yes. over? Yes. You will come back again? I will come back. For you sure. You I loved this show, Behind the Lens. I learned a lot, and I love hearing about new projects and people just going after their art. Love well, it. It has been so fun having you here. Thank and you don't for forget, people, me. it is Shark Week. Shark Week. The new Sharknado airs this week on Sci Fi. You know, movie Shark de Bloor has to get in a yes, plug for sharks. Obviously. So. Obviously. So that is it for us. We'll be back next week. Next week. I will have the directors from another documentary, Twinsters, joining us.